will fix you. Hello, and welcome to We Will Fix You, the only podcast where, if we do try and sell you a mattress, you can guarantee it will be a genuinely cruel confidence trick or the start of a sex cult. Yes. Joining me tonight for less cult, more culture, we have Mr. Dave Convery, who still can't believe he convinced you all that cake forks were a thing. Good evening. H.J. Doom, the original manufacturer of the combined rectal thermometer and pogo stick. It's hours of fun. It is. And I, as ever, am Roger Hart, a salad dressing elemental. Today's question concerns the thorny world of work. And if you have a question, work-related or otherwise, you can contact us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com or our new online home, hauntedphonograph.com. Our question begins. I am a freelancer. I work from my home due to disabilities and the relatively high cost of office space, and this is unlikely to change. After a lifetime working in shitty jobs that don't deserve them, my spouse is working at a company that values them and their work-life balance, uh, at least insofar as they're very casual about them working from home. A lot. Perhaps unusually, this in itself isn't the issue. When they work from home, it's a little disruptive, but I manage to work around a lot of things that are a little disruptive, and roadworks or my cat being a dickhead don't even come with any upsides. The issue is a specific subsection of working from home. Recently, spouses got into the habit of waking up at 8am, doing an hour's work straight from bed, and fanning about for over an hour, then leaving the office after 10. And it is doing my head in. Unlike working from home all day, where we can mainly settle in in separate rooms for eight hours and just get on with it, I find the fannying about incredibly distracting, and it takes a huge chunk of time out of my working day, often leaving me unable to settle to work until nearly 11am. To make things worse, for historical reasons, 9am till 12pm are often the busiest hours in my industry. Please, we will fix you. Spouses started referring to this morning arrangement as the best perk of their job. How do I get either them out of the door earlier, or learn to ignore their leisurely breakfast bullshit? Mr. Convery. Well, I've been in a similar position to your spouse. I, I went from a series of quite lousy jobs to one that is almost unreasonably cushy and yes the ability to work remotely is, is one of those things that, that makes it uh, very pleasant so I'm assuming that your spouse is in a similar state that I was in in the beginning of that, 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 that job which is to say they are a little bit like a rescue dog that is learning to trust again um, and I'm going to be treating them as such for the purposes of my answer, so I apologise that this puts an unreasonable burden on changing your behaviour rather than theirs, or using your behaviour to change theirs. So, I mean, obviously, obviously, you should just talk to them about this, right? 
and you should say, this is very disruptive to me. My job is important too. Maybe you could cut it down or find an arrangement. But, yeah, if you were going to do that, you wouldn't have written to a rotating assortment of internet buffoons. So here we are. And normally, at this point in the proceedings, I would start to introduce elaborate traps or a slow-acting poison and... You know, if you do this, you get the antidote and that sort of thing. But I want to stress, again, that to me, in my head, they are a Labrador with a bandaged leg. And so there is no easy way out for you. There are no comedy laxatives or anything like that. Actually, do you know what? Fuck it. Let's just treat them like a dog. Um, positive reinforcement seems to have worked incredibly well for uh, their employer. Why not just put it to use for you? Now, I'm not going to go so far as to suggest that you get a clicker or anything like that, but through positive reinforcement, um, none of that, you know, alpha bullshit, that's all nonsense. Um, but through positive reinforcement, you are going to train them to give you back your time in the morning. So if they get up early, they might get a tummy rub or a little pat on the head. Uh, if they work from somewhere that's not the bed, say they relocate to the table, praise them, tell them how good this is and how proud they should be to have gotten up, flapped their genitals to another room and sat down and checked their email over there. Um, maybe if they leave the house before half past nine, you could give them something nice to, to, to bolster their lunch. They could get a chocolate bar, a bag of crisps keep doing this and if they are the broken shambling heap of humanity that i think they are from your question then given a couple of weeks they should start to alter their behaviors to fit this head pat chocolate bar receiving behavior providing you are outstripping what the company is providing them you are in direct competition to give the best nummiest treats in effect um, so you need to make sure that their, their, their treats are better than a job with a tiny amount of dignity. Just tailor it to what they like. You can, you, you can do this. Um, if they are less broken than that, um, just tell them they're fucking you off, really. Splendid. Now... Uh, there's there's some overlap in in your thinking and mine here, um, but <laughs> amazingly, you've approached this from a position of essential kindness, and I might have gone in a slightly different direction. Um, obviously, in these situations, as Mr. Comfrey said, a functional adult would suggest communication. Um, they, they would say something like, "You should talk to your spouse about the way your schedules interact and how they're happy, fuzzy, fannying about steps on your actual useful productive day, and so maybe you know they could knock it the fuck off. Only in a touchy, feely, respectful, cuddly way or some such bullshit. But as discussed, you did not come here for that. You came here for the cheap, strong stuff. So here's the thing. You've identified two key problem spaces and solutions already. Get them out earlier, yeah, fair, or learn to ignore it. Respectfully, that last one is bullshit. I mean, you could put headphones on or talk about keeping the fannying around to a separate room as with the homeworking, but that sounds a lot like compromise, and as we all know, compromise is just losing and apologizing for it at the same time. So, get them out early, sure, that is actually what's gonna happen. Ignore it, no. 
in the kind of hybrid third option, um, what you what we're going to do is we're going to get them to not want to stay. And I don't mean by like electrocuting their knackers or something. I, I obviously mean by grim psychological conditioning because you wrote to us. So they'll get the fuck out all on their own with a blend of a little light nudging and the key part here, which you touch upon, which is disabusing them of the idea that this is a headline benefit of their new job, which is probably a locus of some kind of sense of personal dignity and they've probably really invested in or, you know, some such shite. Now, social comparison theory, this kind of this psychological idea that we can massively affect our happiness by comparing ourselves to others, has... Um, a couple of models and a couple of modes of, of operation, including um, assimilation bias and contrast effects, and I'll, I'll come to that in, in a bit more detail. Um, but basically, you make um, upwards and downwards comparisons all the time to things and people around you. And when you, uh, and so you might compare yourself to someone who you perceive to be doing less well than you, and that might sort of buoy you up a bit, but the downside is that you might feel a bit sad for them if you're capable of empathy. Likewise, when you make uh, make upwards comparisons, um, you might see something aspirational and motivating, but you might also feel terrible because you're a squishy human and we can, you know, my life isn't as good as yours. Oh God, everything is, is terrible. Um, we're going to harness those effects. Uh, and we're going to try and deploy some of them. And... Um, so part of this, part of the upward comparison effect, is a kind of assimilation bias, almost availability heuristic thing, where if you're sort of if you're thinking about something better the whole time, and then go and look at your own life, you will sort of you're predisposed to seeing it as as worse. It's kind of a contrast and priming effect. There's two sides to it. It could backfire and make you seem that if you go too far, it could make you you feel that your your own life is 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 okay. So we're going to need to watch this. There was a really interesting study on sort of priming and these effects where um, some researchers asked some people to think about Richard Nixon, who is, you know, famously corrupt, and then answer some questions about um, politicians. And fairly reliably what happened here was the kind of that the priming and, um, and assimilation effects meant that their judgments of uh, politicians in general were less favourable after thinking about Nixon, but of specific politicians were better because they were making an explicit detailed contrast to Nixon. So this is this is the trap. We we need to get people. We need to get them to consider his benefits. This this working from home thing relative to um, to other benefits. But it can't be too specific. So you're going to need to use specific examples. But then when when getting them to think about their own situation, it kind of needs to be general so that they arrive on their own at the idea that the working from home kind of sucks a bit relative to the other things. And so they, you know, just generally feel a bit beaten down and broken, at which point you can then introduce the idea that they might like to get the fuck out of the house. So I, I've kind of, I've, I've worked up a few um, conversation topics, just things that you, you might consider. Um, you might want to talk, for example, about, and again, sticking to generality, uh, Oh yeah, so you know, working from home, I see you're fanning around in a dressing gown like a fucking ne'er-do-well getting in my way. Isn't it great that the tech sector has all of these benefits? Um, have you heard that sort of some companies do all sorts of things? And, and here's like a sort of a cookbook of various examples. So for example, lots of lots of wanky tech companies will have pool tables and games rooms, that's not uncommon. Um, evening cocktails, also uh, fashion technology startup Mitel does regular Friday cocktail nights, as do, as do lots of other places. Free food, Google and all the big uh, big companies, quite a lot of smaller ones will do free food. GitHub's offices have this weird supervillain lair club thing that people can go and hang out in. A lot of places do unlimited holiday, which is actually really bad for a variety of reasons, but 
never mind, um, Zappos, LinkedIn, Netflix, Eventbrite, Google, Facebook, unlimited holiday. Um, Google do free gyms often on site. Many tech firms will pay for gym memberships. Um, Facebook is super lax about people flying business class. Um, several companies I, I worked for one do frequent massages. Uh, and not just in a sort of over-familiar manager that HR won't do anything about kind of a way either. Um, so there's a, there's a whole laundry list of, of wanky tech benefits you can kind of introduce into a general conversation and sort of just tell off with... <laughs> But, you know, it's nice that you can work from home, eh? And, and through this, this priming and gentle bullying, they'll, they'll eventually start to reflect sort of upwards on these benefits that they could have and become a bit less attached. And it's at this point that they'll be just, just a little bit broken, a little bit damaged, and you'll be able to drive a little wedge in by, say, getting one of their colleagues to book some early meetings so they have to get out, but then they won't feel so bad about it. Just do a few little things to nudge them out of the door after you've good and broken them. And, yeah, you'll, you'll basically be able to get rid of them. Cruel. Yeah. Of course. H.J. Doom. Well, I think there's been a bit of a theme on this episode that we're all looking at this from a relatively similar perspective. And I'm not going to massively change that. I mean, this is a situation I think that's familiar to a lot of people. You know, your partner does a thing that, on the face of it, is harmless nice even but which also causes us to have like deeply inappropriate thoughts about chainsaws and the number of pigs required to eat an entire human body at one sitting because we love the person we refrain from acts of murder and instead we bottle our feelings up until we develop a coronary heart condition manufactured entirely out of suppressed rage as uh, both roger and dave have touched on a lot of so-called experts will tell you things like talk it out, be honest, deal with the little things before they become big things. I think we all agree that our civilization would never have got the current apogee of excellence if we went about listening to so-called experts. If, and it's a big if, we wanted to talk to our partners, we'd have got together with someone we respect rather than someone who was willing to sleep with us. And honestly, who in this day and age has the time or the effort to trick someone they respect into sleeping with them? Those internet videos of people falling over, they're not going to look at themselves, people. So what's required here is something more sophisticated, uh, more technological than merely talking about feelings and that jazz. We need to change their behaviour, but we need to make them think it's their idea. And as both Roger and Dave have outlined, behaviour modification is a ticklish business. I believe I have the perfect solution, one that harnesses both the, uh, your naturally available resources and a traditional British aversion to embarrassment. What you have to understand is that you are in the middle of a war, a low-key, passive-aggressive war for control over the house in the mornings. To win this war, we're going to employ the techniques of asymmetric warfare and utilise a secret weapon, your anus. You see, the problem is that you've made the house into a safe environment for your partner in the mornings, somewhere they can feel at home, comfortable, perhaps even nurtured if you're both complete perverts. You need to make that safe cotton wool environment less appealing so that they will relish getting out of the house and going to the office and you're going to do it with a campaign of weaponized flatulence. 
There's going to be a certain amount of effort required for this fix, I won't lie to you. In order to poison the atmosphere in the mornings, you're going to have to get up in the dark watches of the night and make your preparations. Now, you've got a choice. You can look on this as a massive imposition, but I prefer to think of it as a, a midnight feast. Um, in order to maximise the deterrent potential of your lower intestines, you're going to have to get up in the middle of the night and eat a plate of deviled eggs and scull a couple of pints of Guinness. Under no circumstances should you eat anything with fibre. Processed meat, eggs and stout, they're all high in the sulphurous compounds you're looking for. But if you combine them with starchy foods that are high in fibre, I'm afraid you're going to be significantly reducing the potential olfactory impact. So we're looking on the scale of farting to create something that will make the house a deeply unappealing place, but stops short of triggering a UN investigation into the potential use of banned biological and chemical weapons in your bottom. I think if you follow this plan and your partner will before too long, be skipping their morning self-care routine entirely just in order to get out of the house and into a nice, safe office where they can breathe through their nose. I mean, what's their actual alternative? Like, have a conversation with you, a frank and open conversation with you about the state of your bowels? In Britain, in this day and age, I rather think not. Um, the genius of this approach is that on the face of it, only a seriously deranged person would deliberately seek to give themselves appalling flatulence by getting up at 2am and cramming processed cheese and dark ale into themselves. So I reckon your chances of getting found out are basically nil. A resplendent, nay pungent fix. Well, I do believe we've fixed fannying about. Sadly, we are legally prohibited from addressing titting around. But if you would like to ask us about some other dilemmas, you can write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com or ask anonymously at hauntedphonograph.com. Goodbye.